Uh, welcome back to Calvary Life, our podcast. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode. I'm Charles Uptain. I'm Paul Thompson. I'm Patrick Lima. Yeah, we're uh, continuing today our discussion of worship. We actually uh, dragged Patrick into this today. Uh, last week we talked, I guess, about uh, worship as uh, why we worship the way we do, some elements to it. And uh, one of the questions that we get a lot is, is about uh, song choice. And uh, so that's kind of what we're going to do today. So, Paul, start us off. What, what are your first thoughts about song choice? I thought it might be helpful to start with the negative. Um, maybe at some point in the future we can address how we structure services. You know, Patrick, you can talk about what you're looking for when you're planning, when you're thinking mm-hmm. about songs and how we try to do those things, how we match themes and scriptures and we're really trying to, to teach and convey. And I'll talk about that a little bit too today and kind of the philosophy of worship in general. But I thought it might be helpful, again, to begin with the negative why we don't use certain songs, or maybe even more specifically today, why we don't use certain songs from certain people or places, uh, ministries. So I thought we might start with that as our theme today. Yeah, and so Patrick, have you gotten questions about that since you've been here? You've only been here a year, but has this been something that's come up with you? For sure, yes. I have gotten several questions about that, and it's something that is a, is a a discussion that that we have often, not only about our corporate worship on Sundays, but also about music that we use with children and with students, and it's just, and and it just comes down to, is it needs to be more than just uh, if the song is 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 scripturally accurate, because there's a lot of heretical people that have written that have written uh, good scriptural songs that doesn't that doesn't mean that we naturally would use them in our service because we also have to think uh, where those songs are coming from what is the fruit when we endorse something that another ministry is doing by singing their songs i feel like when we do sing a song by someone we are endorsing their ministry and and some of these are not necessarily ministries that we would like to endorse yeah uh you know i think we've as we think about this you know I think a, a tweet went by all of us lately is, you know, the top 100 songs the church is seeing. And, and I think we did some research and like over a third of them, maybe closer to a half of them, are by three different groups that we would really try to stay away from. So let's talk about those those groups, Paul, if you want to, of each one, if you want to take it that way. You know, I want to hit some of these specifically, and I had mentioned in previous podcasts that I would be willing to name names, but I want to kind of get this out up front. I just want to go ahead and put this out there. I think the most predictable response whenever you talk about false teachers, false ministries or churches, and then what we're going to discuss today, what our, what our parameters are, where our no-go zones are, is this response, uh, aren't we told as Christians not to judge? Or maybe, who are you to judge? And so I can just, I want to sort of address that from the get-go. Um, that's one of the worst arguments, I think, that Christians, pseudo-Christians, non-Christians posed us. I don't think it really holds weight. And I want to give you a couple of verses before I answer some of these questions about what the Bible actually says about judging. How about Matthew 7-2? Matthew 7-2 says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with people measuring the services that we do, the songs that we sing, and asking the questions that we're going to be asking in these ministries. So for that standard, I'm fine with that. Judge it. Judge it by the Word of God. Hold us up to that light and see if what we're doing is good and true and right. Or what about John 7, 24? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. 
So for that, I'm going to apply that in this way to our discussion on music, not by what's popular or commonplace or acceptable to the majority, what your church may sing if you're not from our church or what you see or hear on the radio, but I want to try to judge with right judgment. That's what we want to do, to judge rightly. And then that doesn't even begin to deal with the scriptures that go to a deeper level here about false teachers and false teaching, and what do you do with those false teachers? Matthew seven fifteen. beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Or 2 Peter chapter 2, false prophets arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Well, we want to guard our church from destructive heresies, even denying the master. We want to guard a right view of Christ, our master, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they'll exploit you with false words. Well, we want to guard people who would draw, and we want to guard our people from other people or ministries who would draw them away, or who would exploit them with false words, or who who would manipulate them or use them for, for greedy purposes. Or verses we've been looking at in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Spirit expressly says, in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits or deceitful teachings, teachings of demons. And then it says a few verses later, put these things before the brothers. If you do, you're being a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. And you think of some of the harsh words. So if anybody recoils against what we say today, so man, these guys are being hard. Um, I don't think we should do that. I think we should be kinder, gentler, less judgmental. I mean, I think of Paul, Philippians 2. He called false teachers in Philippi dogs. In, in chapter 3, verse 18, he called them enemies of the cross. Yeah. I mean, this is the seriousness of it. I, let me give you a quote from Piper before, I, before we talk about some of these questions. Piper said regarding false teachers, to avoid them, you have to know who they are. Mm-hmm. You can't avoid somebody if you don't know who they are. So the idea of identifying and avoiding shows up in 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Thessalonians 6, I mean 3 verse 6, 2 Timothy 3, 2 John uh, verse 10. So in other words, Christians and for our purpose as shepherds in particular, we have to be discerning and alert to behavior, teaching that dishonors Christ, destroys people, and not treat it in a casual or harmless way. And remember, my last thought is this. The Apostle Paul called out in Scripture six names. I mean, six people specifically. Yeah. I mean, they're named for goodness' sake. And we would say in our time, "Oh man, you can't Whoa. do that. You can't name names. You can't, um, you you can't call people out that way." Paul called six of them out, and they're called out eternally now. So anyway, that's what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to be discerning, watchful, biblical. We want to give the right warnings to our people so they can recognize and avoid these things. Mm-hmm. And we want to do the best that we can honoring God with you know, that sliver of time we have together as God's people to worship Him each week. All right, so probably the biggest one that is maybe the easiest one for us to to mention is Bethel. So talk about Bethel for a minute. What do we see in that ministry that really uh, does not line up doct- doctrinally in lots of ways with us? Oh, that's a couple pages. <laughs> it's you know. Let, let me let me say this kind of in the big picture here on this. One, we won't have time today to address <laughs> everything that they teach this wrong, honestly. And I, I hate to say. To folks, just simply, you just need to Google that. Watch some of this for yourself. Take your Bible in your hand. Listen to some sermons, not just not just clips about. Listen to some of it wholesale for yourself. And you know what I discovered the more I looked into the teachings of Bethel is it's not just a few things. I mean, there, there are some weird things that they do. I mean, there, there are certainly some weird things that they teach. You know, we're certainly living in a time where there's 
obvious and probably more pronounced racism than ever. Well, what's the Bethel response to racism? Well, here's a little clip from Bethel of how they, I don't know, cast out racism. I mean, this it's more like a scene from Lord of the Rings. It's kind of like a parody, but here it is. Well, Pastor Marlene got a prophetic vision right before this event, and she saw us doing a prophetic act that was going to be very, very historic. One of the movies that has really touched my heart is Lord of the Rings. So I encourage you, if you haven't done this in the proper order, you must put oil in your door and then go in front and repeat this act with us. And Gandalf stands in his authority in front of the demon and says it the first time he hits it and it doesn't happen. The second time Gandalf does it again and still the demon is not obeying. And at the third time Gandalf puts both of his hands on the staff and he said, I said, and he hits it. And that authority is what we are talking about that can only be released by an apostolic decree. We decree and declare that racism will end, it's over, in the ecclesia from this night forward, in Jesus' mighty name. Let's lift it up and bang it. <laughs> now listen, you're, if you've never heard that before, you think, that's a joke, right? That's a joke. Oh that's got to be parody. But that is for real, and there's nothing that's truthful in that. Listen, I, I love Tolkien, and I enjoy Lord of the Rings. But this is not deep theology here. We don't build our theology on the church or our view of, of demons in the spirit world based on Gandalf and a Balrog scene yep. in Lord of the Rings. I mean, this is nonsense. I mean, you're not going to remedy racism by putting oil around your door, um, stomping down your, your staff, what, your staff, staff yeah. and decreeing it by apostolic decree. Yeah. But, you know, that, that's just an example. But I go, I go down through the list of teachings of from Bethel Church, for instance, and I would say every single doctrine, and I'm not exaggerating here, every single doctrine that we would think is critical, essential, the kind that we would hold with a closed fist, say non-negotiable, we would disagree with them on. We would disagree with them on the study of God the Father. We would disagree with them on how they portray Jesus the Son. We would disagree with them on their teachings on the Holy Spirit. We would disagree with them on what they teach about sin. Um, we would disagree with them on what they teach about the church. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, we would, it would be a harder study. It would take more time and effort to find things about them that we agree than to find things we disagree. So in that sense, why in the world would we sing songs that spring from a ministry that is wrong on so many critical issues? Why would we support it? Even if they're scripturally accurate at first sight. Okay, here's the thing. Here's my thought on that. Somebody will say, okay, well, this song, what's wrong with this song? Okay, listen. This, for a church like Bethel, their music is their primary marketing arm. This is how they have made themselves known. This is how they have gained inroads into churches and ministries all around the world. It is They have poked their nose through the door of the Christian community via music, and now it's everywhere. And they're savvy enough as marketers to know that overt heresy is not going to fly. Yeah. But because far too many churches are casual or indifferent about songs and word meanings and things, and we're not very precise anymore, we're not... I mean. If we're comparing Bethel songs to the songs in our hymn books, for instance, we're not finding anything comparable in terms of depth of theology, clarity, 
expressions of scripture. I mean, we're 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 seeing things that are appealing, catchy, poetic, and poetic in a sense, encouraging. They speak to us, but they're not. It doesn't necessarily mean they're sound, sound and biblical. So you know, we've got to look a little bit deeper. And again, when we take a ministry like Bethel's, their publishing of music grants such a great amount of financial support to their ministry that we're actually sponsoring the spread of that ministry, that false teaching everywhere. And not only do I not want to endorse it financially, I don't want to have any person who's hearing a song, man, I love that song. Who wrote that song? I want to find out. Oh, they they are they lead worship at Bethel in Redding, California. Let's check them out. I don't want to introduce anyone to that kind of heresy, mm-hmm. which I think, according to First Timothy, is largely reflective of the doctrine of demons. Yeah. I, I would like to just add to that is uh, you, church member, you may be listening to them to this or anybody else that may be listening to this. You might be thinking, well, uh, I don't feel like I am supporting them. Uh, I do enjoy some of their music. I listen to it in my car, but I'm not. In this day and age, you, you may be supporting somebody and you don't even know. If you're streaming Bethel music or any other, of these ministries music you are endorsing them and you are paying them we as a as a as a church every time we sing a song on sunday morning we we uh we we keep um a record of all the songs that we sing and and we pay a license so that we can sing songs in corporate worship and if i choose a bethel song to be sung on a sunday morning i will be paying money to bethel so are many other churches, right? You know, doing the same right now. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, if you're giving them one view or one like, you're supporting them in their ministry. That's how the uh, these ministries make the bulk of, of their money. And we we've talked about what happened if uh, today Bethel and some of these other ministries cease to produce music. Their ministries will no longer have. You know, legs. Yeah, they'll have no ministry. I mean, they'll have no reach. They'll, you know, and again, there's just so many things we could spend on on this church and their ministry. Um, you know, again, I mentioned how they teach Christ, how they teach the Father, how they teach the Holy Spirit, what they believe about the Bible. You know, constant extra biblical teachings or encouraging people to go beyond the Bible. Um, they teach that they're modern day apostles and prophets. They use what they call Christian tarot cards. They practice the occultic act of grave sucking, grave soaking, where people can go to a cemetery and lay hands on, lay on tombstones and receive the some sort of spiritual power from those folks, um, soaking up their anointing. Um, they, they promote raising the dead. They have a dead raising team. And here's one for you to research on your own. Look up their, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Hmm. Um, their own students call it Christian Hogwarts. I mean, yeah. it's 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 bizarre. It's bizarre, and and bizarre is being nice about it. Um, they teach about biblical. Um, they teach about modern day prophets, which are nothing like biblical prophets. Um, the prosperity gospel. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And they're not the only ones. Yeah. So let's let's move on to maybe a, a couple that um, I think I think in the past we've almost had them in a different category than Bethel. You know, mm-hmm. I would say a while back, you know, Bethel was kind of by itself. Yeah. These these others are are I think have made the the no go list as Paul said now. <laughs> so uh, one of those being Ele- Elevation Church. So uh, speak to Elevation. I think we have a clip of that when you get ready to. You know Elevation Church again. I would say is in a similar genre, not quite the same level of reach yet. Although Elevation Church in my hometown Charlotte is one of the fastest growing churches in America, um, but they profit greatly from Elevation worship. And one of the unique 
aspects of their worship is whenever you see elevation worship, you'll almost invariably see their pastor listed as um, a co-writer yeah. of those songs. So he's mm-hmm. crediting personally from each of those songs, Stephen Furtick. And I think Stephen Furtick is, again, one of he's one of the most egregiously unbiblical preaching, teaching, so-called pastors of our generation. I mean, he mercilessly twists Scripture. Um, Again, he falls into the same sort of word of faith, prosperity gospel, apostolic reformation kind of movement. I mean, there's just so many issues. And again, I would say they get major doctrines wrong. One of the things you'll hear Furtick saying frequently in his sermons is, God told me to tell you this, or God said to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we would reject that. We would right. say, if you're going to say, God told me to tell you this, he, I find it here in, in John chapter 4, verse 6, uh, for instance. Um, are you getting this revelation is one of, his, one of his phrases. He teaches a false view of the Holy Spirit called modalism. I mean, the list just goes on and on with his, again, so much false teaching, and it's a ministry that is so now supported by this music publishing arm that we're, again, we're funding the spread of this. So now there are Elevation campuses in multiple places. We're funding Furtick's own personal fortune, which you can do a little of that research on your own. And again, so much of the music, listen, at best, and I just want you to do this analysis on your own. Some of you are going to not like what I'm saying here. Um, you can send you can send Patrick an email. <laughs> um, listen, at best... At best, it's vapid, okay? Mm-hmm. It's vapid. I mean, it's just a sort of mi- mindless song that you might just sing to yourself because it's a catchy tune. Why am I singing this? It's got all the spiritual depth and quality of a, of a fast food restaurant commercial. I mean, that's at best. At worst, it's just that's just wrong. That's, that's not how God is or who God is or what God is like. And one of the things, and Patrick, you'd mentioned this too, and you can speak to this. This is sort of a theme that we see just sort of running through like a thread and so much of this sort of music that it is at its core not God-centered, it's not biblically driven, it's very much me-centered, man-centered. Correct. Right. You will you will you will see that a lot of their songs are uh are very horizontal. They're yeah. not vertical at all. Uh you you'll be singing songs about me, I, I this and and it's just uh, it's just it's just what what sells, and it generates a very emotional response, not just from the lyrics, but also from from the the cadence and how the songs builds to a to a point to gen- to then generate this emotional response. And it has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. So, yeah, we're definitely um, we're being bombarded by by that type of uh, of thinking. You know, just a a wrong view of Christ and who He is, a, a denial of His of His deity, uh, in their teachings is is just very difficult to to. Uh, I don't even know how to finish that sentence. <laughs> let, let me read you this quote from Michael Pugh. This is about Furtick and elevation. He says it's likely that a discerning Christian could listen to any message from Furtick and understand he does not preach the full gospel. Furtick doesn't usually come out with direct heresy, like you might see from Bethel. And Charles, that was your point. Right. It's much more subtle, he said. But Furtick's sermons are man-focused, not God-focused. Of course, so why wouldn't the music be? Yeah. And this is always the case, he said. His sermons are more like self-help seminars than sermons, and they make everyone leave feeling better about themselves. Hmm. He's a talented showman. He's a showman that doesn't preach the gospel. Yep. He points his congregation to himself, and he doesn't point them to Christ. And just give you an example of some of this just wonky teaching, and this is just one of many. Maybe this is one of the most 
infamous examples of, of clips of Furtick's uh, sermons that he's preached. You can listen to the whole sermon. It doesn't get any better afterwards, and it wasn't any better before it. But listen to the sermon where he's really wrongly defining even the very person of Christ and the work of Christ. And, and let me say this. I'm going to set this up before you hear this little clip. If you had said this statement 500 years ago, you would have been stoned to death yeah. by Christians, right. okay? You would have been stoned to death by Christians for this heresy. So listen to his statement about Jesus. In Romans, that what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, what does that mean? The law wasn't enough leverage to change a human heart. Because try as we might, we could not keep the law. And what will really turn your heart to God is not when you hear his laws, which were given for our good, by the way, but they were powerless because there wasn't enough leverage in our action to keep the law. So what God did when he sent his son, and this is why we get excited in church, and this is why tears fill our eyes when we think about Jesus, and this is why the gospel is still good news in the world today, because God broke the law for love. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. I don't even know what that means. I'm not even really sure what, he, what that means. I mean, again, this idea, one, he misunderstands the law, misunderstands the purpose of the law, and even the power of the law, and misunderstands the work of Christ. And I don't know how he deals with the passages that teach really the opposite of that, that Christ fulfilled the law. He kept the law perfectly for us and how he saved us. But again, that's just one example. And again, for our sake, Charles, I know we could be hung up on this stuff all the time. I mean, Furtick has his role model is T.D. Jakes. There are no means of accountability in his church like elders, et cetera. He's got a corporate board. Um, you know, it's just his own cult-like personality. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Have you seen those coloring books that they give kids in children's ministry there? They get to color pictures of Stephen, Stephen Furtick. Wow. Oh, how fun. Um, oh, we need to get that going. You know, just, just, so, just so many different things. I would just encourage you just to do a little research there. And again, it's not as obvious, it's not as egregious, we might say, as just the blatant heresy coming out of Reading from Bethel. But it's still something that we need to mark and avoid. And so I think it's just an example. And a third one for me would be Hillsong. And, you know, Hillsong has evolved a lot. Maybe the better word would be devolved yeah. in the last couple of decades. And I think you've seen that even in their worship. And, and Patrick, you could speak to this a lot better than I can. I'm not a musician. But I think you can even see in the style of their worship something yeah. that speaks of their philosophy of music that really we're just writing for the culture. Correct. Because if you listen to music today that's coming out of Hillsong, it is not stylistically. It's not lyrically. Um, it's not... How would I say this, Patrick? It's, it doesn't even... It's not even emotionally the same. It has such a different feel even than what was coming out 20 years ago. I think they're just writing genres to sell. Correct. Uh, I think if you, if you listen to popular music, you have seen a connection between Hillsong and, and what's popular in pop music right now. You know, they, they draw a lot of their, a lot of their uh, motifs in, in, the song, in the songs and the music they, they create from, from bands like uh, Imagine Dragons and, and um, Coldplay and, and others. So you may, you may feel like you're at a rock concert. Uh, which you know today we're not talking about musical genre. It's not the the problem of musical genre, but it's the problem of turning worship into a nothing but emotional experience, which is which is really not what worship is supposed to be. And again, if we're looking at churches like 
like Hillsong, again, I think if you look to doctrine and teaching that flows down from the top, you're going to find some glaring errors, I mean, some areas of major uh, disagreement. The doctrine of the Father. In 2014, Brian Houston said that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. I mean, in one sermon, and this is a quote, do you know, take it all the way back into the Old Testament and the Muslim, and you know we actually serve the same God? No, Brian, Brian we don't. Um, Islam didn't originate from the descendants of Ishmael. Islam yeah. didn't show up in human history until 2,700 years after Ishmael was born. I mean, just a little, little, little study, a little homework would show that. Um, I think they have a very low view of Christ. Here's another Houston quote. It was weakness that caused the fall, but Jesus turned it all around. You see, on the cross, Jesus became you so that you could become him. That, no, that's that's not what the crucifixion of Christ is about. Um, I don't think they teach a proper doctrine of salvation. Um, they link as Bethel does, as Elevation does, as many other Pentecostal-leaning churches do, that physical healing is inherent in salvation, that that's all part of your salvation. Um, their statement of faith even includes this statement, we believe that God wants to heal and transform us so we can live healthy and blessed lives. Uh, just so many errors. Um, their eschatology is is wrong. Their doctrine of sin is wrong. And look at their record of leadership. I mean, again, this is just a quick internet search. Um, Houston's no longer leading, but members of his family are. We've seen the the rise and fall of Carl Lentz in Hillsong, New York, and we've mm-hmm. seen the stories. I mean, so many abuses. Look at the the financial fraud. Look at the spending. And again, what do you have here? You have a publishing arm. Or you have a church is just an arm of a publishing house. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how has their ministry, how do they have the millions and millions and millions of dollars to spread Hillsong all over the world because we're buying and singing their music? Yeah. yeah. I read an article today, and this is a, a detour, so this is going to be a long podcast. But you can research this yourself, and you can see some of the allegations now coming against um, the LDS church, Mormon church and how a lot of their businesses are actually for-profit, how they support themselves with for-profit businesses that um, are using tax-free funds, giving of church members to support, and et cetera, et cetera. How do, how do the Mormons have the ability financially to send missionaries all over the world, yeah. build churches all over the world, do what they do because of the businesses that we support that are Mormon-owned? Now, yeah. often we don't even know what those are. In a similar way, but on a smaller scale, how do these guys do it? Because we're buying their songs. We're singing their songs. Yeah. Um, so this is just part of the picture. I, I actually came up with a list. How much time do we have? What are we on here? Keep going. All right, we're going to keep going. We were told to keep going. So if you're driving around right now listening, just keep driving for a minute. Get on the circle. It'll take you 15 <laughs> minutes to get around it. That's right. That's right. Get on in. the drive-through. <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah, go get in, go get in go line to drive through and get something to eat. Don't get, get in line cheese. at Hardee's because you'll be the only one there, and that won't take very long. <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> all right. I, I made a list, all right? Okay. I don't normally make lists. I've been winging these, but I, I want to give you a list here. Okay, I've got some reasons, and you guys jump in here. Okay. Tell me your thoughts. I'm trying to keep it just simple. One, first reason we don't want to use songs from those three places is because we believe Titus 2.1 tells us we need to promote sound doctrine. Yeah. Mm. And again, I'm not saying every single song. So someone, if you're thinking, but I love this song, what's wrong with these words? What's long, wrong with this line? I'm talking about as a whole, this ministry. Um, I don't think that they meet the biblical definition of church that we would agree with. I don't think their leaders meet the biblical definition of pastors that we would adhere to. Um, I think by and large, we're talking about churches that preach heresy. 
and you know, just so much bad doctrine. I think, and this is in the, in the words of Costi Hen. He says, scriptural teaching, early church teachings, early church councils, and your Bible college textbooks would all confirm that the Jesus that Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, Bethel Music, Jesus culture propagate is not the real Jesus. And that's just one example. Mm-hmm. And so I think in all these ministries, their music is the primary means of marketing themselves. And what they're marketing is not sound doctrine. So that's reason number one for me. Number two is a little harder, a little more complex. And I would refer anybody who wants to read more of this to look up the writing of Scott Annual um, from G3 Ministries. And Scott Annual wrote about music and theology. And I want to hit this just briefly. And Patrick, you can jump in on this because I think this would be in your wheelhouse. The type of songs that they write doesn't match our theology of worship. So in general, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase Annual on this, he describes two different types of theology of worship. And one of those theologies is really ours. Uh, we've never used this term. I don't think we've ever even consciously considered it, but it matches how we think the Bible teaches worship. And the way he describes it is covenant renewal worship. In covenant renewal worship, simply put, God's people are coming together to worship him because worship is for Christians. And again, that would be very different than, say, the philosophy right off the bat from Elevation Church, who Furtick himself has said very plainly, our church is not for believers, it's for unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, that's a... What's the word I'm looking for? That's, Club. No, that, that's a fault. I mean, that's a church is believers. It's the gathered out ones. So yeah. a church for unbelievers, this is... You know, it doesn't make sense. We're a restaurant, we don't serve food. I, I don't get it. Um, but anyway, that... For us, we believe God reveals himself. He causes people to worship through the word. We acknowledge, we respond to that. We know that the word teaches us we need forgiveness. We know God's grace. We know about atonement. We believe God speaks to his word. Again, we respond with commitment. We sing, we celebrate him. So in other words, when we're worshiping, our songs are responsive to the truth that's revealed to us. Okay, the other type of worship that he describes, and he does a great job of writing this up, I really encourage you to look it up, is what he calls sacramental worship which sounds kind of Roman Catholic, but what he really means is this, the idea of worship, quote-unquote, music specifically, as a tool to bring you into God's presence, Hmm. to create a feeling, to Mm -hmm. give you an experience. And so this is the kind of stuff that um, people are thinking, though they may not know how to express it this way, when they walk out of the room and say, oh, I could really feel the Holy Spirit today, or this this service really moved me, or that was so powerful today. Worship was great today. The worship was great today. You know, and Patrick, you know this full well. You know what songs you could pick for worship this coming Sunday that would get people out of their seats. Absolutely. Uh, what chords? We could, what yeah, we could tempo? generate? We could generate a response. We could get people on their feet. Um, but worship is not about us. We are not worshiping for us. Worship is not for us. We get to participate in worship, and and uh, and by God's grace. We uh, we uh, we benefit from worship, but worship is for the glory of God. And when we gather, we gather to lift His name up. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have an emotional response. I mean, there should be an emotional response to understanding the depth of God's mercy, or the the worth of Christ, or the the glories of eternity. I mean, those things ought to move us. Mm. But that's very different if we're responding to a teaching from His Word, a revelation that He's given us that's scriptural than just a feeling that I have that, that yeah. really just moved me. So, you know, Annual writes this. He said, and I hope I'm saying his last name correctly. 
you can correct me if you want. The goal of sacramental worship is to experience the felt presence of God and overtly charismatic forms of this theology. Evidence of God's presence will include speaking in tongues, other miraculous experiences. Of course, we don't do that. Some of those churches do. Mm-hmm. With extreme forms, including glory dust, mm-hmm. yeah. Google that one, yeah. and Bethel. <laughs> Being slain in the spirit, holy laughter, more. But even with more moderate charismatics or non-charismatics, he said, who've been called, who've been what I describe as Pentecostalized, there's a certain expectation that in a worship service, the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in some observable, tangible way. And if we don't feel something intense, something is wrong. And again, it's a hmm. different theology of worship. Our worship is primarily we're singing songs rooted in scriptural truth that are that reflect our response to God's revelation. Mm. And that's a different approach. So um, that's one. A third one, which we mentioned already, I won't hammer this one, the huge royalties. I mean, again, Patrick, you talked about that. This is something maybe some people aren't even aware of. Like you mentioned, when we sing their songs, we pay a license. We register them. We're we're paying to sing that song. Um, Just the huge royalties here. Again, Costi Hen on this subject said, these royalties fund their schools and their programs, like Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry, that allow them to keep reproducing more false prophets, more music, more musicians, and spreading their teaching around the world. And he says, even when you use the good songs, quote-unquote, and leave out the bad songs, quote-unquote, you're still putting money in the same pockets. And here's my fourth reason. This is my big one, and I've talked too much on this one. When it comes to choosing music, why we don't use... Bethel, why we won't use Elevation, why very rarely will we use Hillsong, maybe some of the older things, is because we simply don't have to. Yeah, We just don't have to. There's so much other good music out there, both old and new, and we want to encourage that. You know, Sometimes I think um, it's just simply their market reach. They have such a market share that we feel like there's nothing else out there. Yeah. But anyway, Patrick, you do a great job of searching out good music from new sources and, and quality people writing good things who are in good churches. And we want to promote that. You know, we mm-hmm. want to encourage that. And Lord willing, as as God might provide, maybe for our own people writing songs and music. But also looking back to the wealth of Christian music that mm-hmm. the church has sung for hundreds of years. You know, we simply we simply don't have to. I mean this is probably a terrible analogy, but you know, if I'm sitting here with a family sized pack of Oreos and I drop two on the floor, on on the dirty carpet. Um, you know, I could pick them up and dust them all off, or I could just eat two fresh ones. I'm not going to eat the whole thing anyway. Why? I don't have to eat that. I don't have to pick through the bones. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, but there's some good stuff here. Yeah, the other yeah, probably is. I can concede that. There's some catchy songs and everything, but I don't have to. I can find something that's deeper, better, mm-hmm. and I can support yeah. it. And I don't have to support it with conditions. Yeah. Yeah, we we don't have, we just should always stay away from compromise. A lot of people have come to me and say, but but it's so good, but it sounds so good, but I really like it. It really spoke to me. We will never pick a song because it sounds good. That will never be our priority, and it should never be our priority. Um, Let's uh, talk about that again. Let's we'll come back and talk about how we do pick things, what we're thinking, feeling, and if your takeaway from this is. Okay, so what about me? You know, you have to decide this as a matter of conscience. Um, you know, we're telling you what we've decided to do because we think this is best for the for the health of our own congregation. Mm-hmm. And part of that decision simply means we've got to draw the line somewhere, right? I mean, we have to. We have to say this we will do, this we will not do. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me ask you this before we move on and try to do it quickly, but 
with that, you said we. You know, this is something that, that you have not left in Patrick's job description. Why is that? Why has it been something that the elders have taken responsibility over versus the worship pastor? You know, before Patrick even came, when we were in the search process and talking to candidates and things, the elders went through a pretty fair amount of time thinking about studying, considering a philosophy of worship that we would use to guide us, both in guiding us towards the person to lead our worship ministry, but also the kind of stuff we would do. And we thought that's that's as healthy and as necessary for the church as what kind of teaching we're doing, what kind of programs we're promoting, that that needs to be a decision made by, supported by, uh, protected by um, the elders, all the elders. And so we've put those things in place and just some, you know, some statements. And you've mentioned a couple of them. Corporate worship is about God, not us. Corporate worship is our response to God's revelation. It's our spirit-filled response to his self-revelation, but it's not outside of his revelation. Corporate worship has to glorify uh, the person and work of Christ. It, it has to focus on that. Corporate worship uh, for us is intended for believers. We are conscious of unbelievers, but it's intended for believers. Um, you know, We teach that we are to assemble together, and Scripture tells what to do when we're assembled. We try to recognize diversity among us, both in ages and backgrounds. You know, for those of you listening to Patrick, if you're not a Calvary person, you don't know. No, he's not from around here. <laughs> Patrick is from Brazil. Cross the pond. We want our worship to be primarily, when it comes to music, to be reflected in singing, not performing. And you know, this these are just some of the things that guide us, and we have scriptures that guide that. So anyway, back back to your question, Charles. That's that's who we are as a church, and. This is what our elders support. So this won't be this won't be Patrick's take on things, which might change when he's no longer here. It's not just my take on things. Um, this is this is the position of our leadership. We believe these things are important for us, and we want to be we want to be as healthy and as clear as we can. And I will say this for anyone still unconvinced, which I'm sure some of you possibly are, um, we want to be safe. We want to err on the side of safety. Yeah. And if I can recommend something without qualification to you, I'd much rather do that than recommend certain parts a little bit here and there with qualification. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line for me is this. If you were traveling and you were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you said, hey, I'm thinking of going to church Sunday. Should I go to Elevation? I would say no, and I would tell you about 10 other places that I would encourage you to go to. If you're in if you're in California and you're looking for a church there in Reading, I would say no, don't go to Bethel Church. Um, stay in your hotel and watch us online. Um, <laughs> if you're you know if if I'll you're if you're in any city where there's Grace a Hillsong Church, yeah, find something go, else. Go to Grace know, Community. Find a church. So anyhow, that's my that's my take on that. Well I think one thing that is important for us to remember is that I believe that there are Christians within those churches that are just deceived. They are, you know, under that type of teaching, and maybe they haven't heard better. I don't know. But um, we just ought to pray for them. The people, musicians, the people who are writing music, just pray that God will, will deliver them from, from that and that they will, uh, they, they will find uh, a good church or they will find, you know, growth, spiritual growth, so that they can be delivered from that. I, sure. I just feel, feel bad uh, for, for people. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense in line with what we've been reading in First Timothy. These warnings would not be given to the church if these things did not exist in the church, and the church has to be aware and be warned of those dangers. Well, that wraps us up for today. If you've got some questions on this subject or you want to hear some other subjects discussed by us, shoot us an email at podcast at calvarydothan.com, podcast at calvarydothan.com. 
And remember, we are for God, for Dothan, and for the world.